We live in a church age where it is being taught that forgiveness comes through good works. The word denies that teaching. It tells us in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11, and then again in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. I titled the message, The Bread of Life, from John 6, 41 through 71. And today we're going to see kind of the question, the Son of Joseph or the Son of God, verses 41 through 47. The bread of the wilderness or the bread from heaven, verses 48 through 58. The words of the flesh or the words of the spirit, verses 59 through 66. And the 11 who believed versus the one who deceived, verses 67 through 71. And as we look at in verses 53 through 56, where Jesus talks about, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. We know today that this is one of the sacred things that we do, and the church does to this day. We partake in the body and blood of Jesus, first by believing in God the Father, who sent his Son from heaven, and by receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus' work upon the cross. Believing, receiving, and then Well, by growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus and then by going forth to share the love of Jesus with others. And it's the bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. Where Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. After he had given thanks, he said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Peter would later write in 1 Peter 2.24 that who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. The body and blood of Jesus and the blood, the cup reminding us of the blood that was shed as a ransom for many and the Bible telling us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And I find it interesting that that is given to us twice in Scripture. The first time in Leviticus 17.11, and the second time in Hebrews 
9.22. That in the Old and New Testament, in agreement, it tells us that forgiveness comes through the blood. We live in a church age where it is being taught that forgiveness comes through good works. And that is not true. We live in an age where uh, because the temple does not exist in Jerusalem any longer, the Jews teach their people today that forgiveness comes through good works. But the word denies that teaching. It tells us in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11, and then again in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. Therefore, Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians 11.25, in the same manner, Jesus took the cup after supper. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in their minds, they're thinking cannibalism. Remember, Jesus hadn't talked about his death as of yet. Hasn't even shared that he was going to die with his disciples yet. And this is some of that earlier teaching. No wonder they were in such confusion. They went from murmuring when now they're quarreling. And I have to think when it, they murmured, that's kind of that mumble, mumble, don't really know what they're saying. Now they're quarreling. And I'm thinking you could probably hear what they were saying at this point. It was getting pretty hostile in there. But the living father, he gives life through his son in verses 57 through 58. We find that Jesus said, the father sent me. And because I live and because of the father, he who feeds on me will also live. And so as God, Jesus and the father are one, they both have life. And our connection to this life is through the son, Jesus in 1 John 4, 9, it says, In this is the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might have life through him. And we find the similarity of Jesus, the bread of life versus the manna in the wilderness. I found six similarities. There could be more. But in Exodus 16, 15, it tells us, So when the children of Israel saw it, I'm talking about the manna. When they saw it, they went out and said to one another, what is it? That's what manna means in the Hebrew. What is it? For they did not know what it was. So Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And there are some similarities. Manna first came to Israel when they were dwelling. I find this interesting. The Exodus tells us that when Israel went to the wilderness of sin, that's the name of the wilderness that they were in at that time, that the manna first came to them when they were dwelling in the wilderness of sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to dwell among us in the wilderness of our sin, that he might give his life a ransom for our sins. The Israelites were to gather the manna early before the sun grew hot. When the sun grew hot, the manna would disappear like dew disappears from the grass. And I believe it's good for us to start each day in devotion to God. God's word teaches us about Jesus and how we ought to walk and live for him. 
Each one was to gather the manna needed for themselves and for their family. And I believe that we are each responsible to seek the salvation of the Lord. No one can save someone else. Only Jesus can do that. Now, we as parents can guide our children, point our children toward Jesus. But every one of us has to make that decision for ourselves. When the manna was measured out according to God's standard, each person had enough to satisfy. And Jesus always satisfies those who put their trust in him. On the seventh day, they were to rest from gathering the manna. They were to spend the day with family. They were to do good. They were to worship God. And I believe that we should spend our Sabbaths, we would say our Sundays, in a similar way. A day of just kind of slowing down the week. My heart was a bit broken as I drove to church today because we drive by the uh, Lake Villa baseball fields and baseball season is open again. And, and I saw a father coming with his, I look like maybe a seven-year-old son. And for the next, what, two and a half months, forget God on Sunday mornings, we're playing baseball, America's pastime. It's really, it's not that baseball isn't good, and I played it when I was a, a kid growing up, but now it's competing against the church and the work of God, and we see the value. There'll be more people in the baseball parking lot than in Calvary Chapel's parking lot, or the cars, that is. Number six, the eating of the manna kept the people alive, sustained them for 40 years. And partaking of Jesus keeps us alive forevermore. And so Jesus, the bread of heaven, he gives life to everyone who believes in him. And so the words of the flesh versus the words of the spirit, we read in verses 59 through 66. These things he spoke in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And it is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. And the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father or by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So many turned away at this point. There in the synagogue of Capernaum, the disciples said to one another, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And we find that this discourse, and it's one of the longest ones to the people, the teachings, uh, began in verse 25, closes out in verse 58. It took place in the synagogue of Capernaum in Jesus's uh, home base of ministry. And although Jesus ministered privately to the twelve, for the most part, he taught openly before the people when he's put on trial before the uh, chief priest. In John 18, 19 through 21, the high priest would ask Jesus about his disciples, ask about his doctrine, and Jesus would respond in verse 20 saying, 
I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. Jesus, he was open and public with his ministry. And yet the people were having a hard time comprehending what he was speaking about, especially here in this discourse, eating his body, drinking his blood. Also, we learned earlier on, they questioned, we know this guy. We know Joseph and Mary, his brothers and sisters. This is the carpenter. We know he had no formal training. These things were hard for them to comprehend. And the Bible teaches us, though, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. It has to be the work of God's Spirit in our lives, and that can happen at any time. It can happen at a young age for an individual, or maybe toward the end of someone's life where the Spirit allows people to understand the nature and the truth concerning Jesus. That it's the Spirit who gives life in verses 61 through 63. We find that it is the Spirit that gives life. It was during the year of popularity that Jesus had many disciples. So John mentions his disciples here. He's not referring to only the 12. He's referring to all who, who had been following Jesus. And they were a great crowd. We know of 5,000 men who had fed the day before, plus the women and children, some 20,000 people that we could say just the day before were with Jesus. He had many disciples, many followers at this time. But at this point, many of the people would turn away from Jesus because their hearts were set on the physical things and the physical things of life. They were wanting the healing, the teaching, the food, the free food especially, but they were not concerned about the spiritual things. In Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, it tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then God responds, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so we find that some did not believe. And from this time, verse 66 from this time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus knew their hearts. He knew from the beginning those who would believe in him and those who would not. He still knows that to this day. The thing is that we don't know. Therefore, we proclaim, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We preach Christ to everyone in hopes that some will come to know Jesus as their Savior. In John 2, 24 and 25, a similar thing was stated where Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He had no need of anyone to testify of him because he knew what was in man. And this is the third year of his ministry. And the theologians call it the year of opposition. And there is a clear change here in verse 66. Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. But this truth is not hidden from God. Hebrews 4.13 reminds us that there is no creature hidden from his sight, 
that all are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. But the people rejected the words of the Spirit that they might continue in their fleshly desires. And you know, that happens so much in this world today. Churches are, are getting smaller today, not larger. Churches are closing today because some churches just have enormous debt that they can't afford. But there's so many things playing into this. We live in a society back in the 1960s that where prior to the 1960s, there was Bibles in our classrooms. They would start their days with prayer unto God. And they took away the Bibles and they took away the prayers. And they're trying to take away the flag. And the only reason they want to take away the flag, well, several reasons, I guess, today it seems that we have so many people that they don't want to have an allegiance to any country, but especially our pledge that says, under God. They don't like those two words, under God. So majority of us were raised up in school systems that no longer taught of God. I was somewhat lucky because there was a majority of adults that believed in God. As I said earlier about baseball diamonds in my hometown, there was no sports on Wednesday evenings and Sunday, Sundays, period. Wednesdays, because that's when churches got together for their midweek service. Sundays, because it was the day of rest. And somewhere in our society that no longer believes in God, all they saw is baseball diamonds going unused. Say, so well, why isn't anyone playing now? But now we have raised up a generation that has no faith in God. Did you guys, you guys know that I drove by the other day and somebody was standing out down Grand Avenue in Gurney with the uh, closing outs of Toys R Us? Toys R Us going out of business. One of the reasons they're going out of business, they're saying that people aren't having as many children as they used to. Here's an interesting thing. Toys R Us made their business on selling toys to children. And on the other side of it, they were giving money to Planned Parenthood that children could be aborted. They were shooting themselves. We would say they were shooting themselves in the foot. We make a living on kids and we're paying for kids to be aborted. I don't feel as bad for Toys R Us as I used to. But... The truth is, is that there's less children being birthed here in the United States today. And there's less families concerned about the spiritual things for their children's lives. So they're not coming into the church. Many of their disciples walked with him no more. But the people rejected the words of the spirit that they might continue in their fleshly desires. And we see that happening in our world today. And finally, we find that Jesus now turns to his, especially the 11, who believed in the one who deceived the 12. He speaks to them as we close out in verses 67 through 71. Jesus said, then he said to the 12, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. And so we find Jesus questioning the twelve. Are you guys also going to go away? And we find that Jesus, although rejected by many disciples, many followers, he had his 12. And now this is a turning point in the ministry. And, and just think about what took place in the last 48 hours. And the 12 had seen Jesus teach and heal many. And then he fed the 5,000. And there was this private testimony to the 12 when Jesus came walking on to them when they were in the boats and the wind was blowing and they had having a hard time struggling in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus came to them. Peter actually got out of the boat for a little while. It worked until he got his eyes off of Jesus. But Jesus rescued Peter. Uh, they came into the boat. Jesus rebuked the winds that they obeyed them. Matthew tells us that in the boat, the disciples said in Matthew 1433, truly you are the son of God. In Mark 651, they were greatly amazed beyond measure and marveled at Jesus. So this was a turning point for many. Many chose not to believe, but for 11 of the 12, they were convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. In John 524, it tells us, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And he shall come not into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That was last month's memory verse, the New Testament Passover verse. But the one who would betray him, he introduces Judas for the very first time. Do you know, here's just a gospel fact. Every time Judas is introduced for the very first time in each of the Gospels, the Gospel writers let us know that this is Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Every one of them, when they introduced Judas for the first time, they let us know right up front, this is the one who betrayed him. But John gives us a little insight as we go from this point forward, and this is the first mention of Judas in John's Gospel, and John wrote that this is Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him, one of the twelve. But he would go on in verse 70, he called him the devil. Jesus saying that in chapter 12, verse 5, we learn that it was Judas who complained when the woman anointed Jesus. It was Judas who said, hey, this could have been sold for 300 denarii. The money could have been given to the poor. And John would say Judas said this not because he had concern for the poor, but that he was the treasurer and he stole often from the money box. It tells us the character of Judas. They didn't know he was a thief. You know, when you have an organization like a church, when you vote for your treasurer, you probably don't think, all right, who's the rotten scoundrel that we can put over our funds? Now you think, who's somebody that we really trust with the funds here? tells us how deceptive Judas was. The reason Judas didn't care for the poor because he was a thief. He was possessed by Satan. And we learn in John 13 too, he betrayed Jesus in John chapter 18. 
In John 13, 2, it says, After supper had ended, the devil, having already put in his heart, in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. There's a classic book called John Fox and his Fox's Book of Martyrs. You know, John Fox did not write about Judas at all. He wrote of the 11 of the 12. Judas wasn't a martyr. He hung himself. He committed suicide. He betrayed Jesus. He had remorse for it. But John Fox felt that he is not worthy of being in this book. And to this day, there are many who continue to deceive. It is my hope that we would be those who would believe. Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And I pray that we are, Lord, those who, through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, we have believed and we've come to know you as the Lord and Savior of our lives, that we might feed upon this spiritual truth of the body and blood of Christ, that through you, Lord Jesus, that we find healing, forgiveness of sin, and everlasting life, that we have everlasting life. And we give you thanks for that. This day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Let's go.